Matthew 10, 34 to 39, part four of this series, I did not come to bring peace on the earth. Part four of our series, 1034. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Lord in heaven, we are grateful for your word and we're thankful that you have given it to us, this living and abiding word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. And we know heaven and earth will pass away, but your words shall not pass away. We ask, Father, that we'll completely and fully trust in what your word teaches, no matter how difficult it is for the flesh to receive it. We ask that your spirit will work in us to overcome whatever remains of wickedness in us, that we might reject it, give it up, excise it from our being, that we might follow you faithfully. We ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Lord has given us a word that is a stunning, astonishing word that is that he did not come on the earth to bring peace. Especially at the Christmas season, people are thinking of peace. Peace, love, harmony, and especially among one another, in their own families, among their friends and their relatives. They want everybody just to get along. However, our Lord has given us a very, very stunning Surprising word. He did not come to bring peace on the earth. His birth in the world did not come to bring a certain kind of peace. Yes, he did come to bring peace and harmony, reconciliation between God and men. And yes, those who do believe in the gospel will be at peace with one another. In the gospel of Christ, believing in the true purpose of the coming of Christ does bring us peace between us and God and between one another. However, there is a certain kind of peace, a superficial, false peace, that Jesus did not come to deliver to us. And that is the superficial, false peace that exists among family members, even immediate family between husband and wife, fathers and children, children and mothers, siblings, between brothers and sisters, brothers and brothers, sisters and sisters, whoever, whatever combination imaginable. Jesus says here in Matthew 10, a man's enemies will be the members of his household. And why so? Because there will be many, many experiences, many, many occasions when 
we must know whether to follow the will of God or to follow the will of our family member, the members of our own household. And when it comes to that cross road, when it comes to the fork in the road, when our family member is saying one thing, but God's holy word says another thing, what must we do? We must believe and follow God's holy word. That's how we show that we love him, and specifically we love Christ, more than our father. Christ more than our son. Christ more than our wife. Christ more than our husband. That's when the truth and the proof of who we really love comes to the surface. This is what Jesus means. And he says that when we do follow the Lord Jesus Christ in opposition to a member of our household, then the animosity will come. Then the strife will come. Then the conflict will come. And when the conflict comes, we must press on in the way of Christ. This is the exhortation and the warning he's given to us here, Hebrews, or Matthew 10, 34 to 39. In the previous studies, we have started in the book of Genesis, and we make our way throughout the Old Testament and eventually into the New Testament. The Bible has given us numerous examples of this truth, and it has given it to us so that it might remain in us, so that we might have this truth so fixed in our heart that whenever we are tempted to disobey God in order to obey a member of our household, we'll be brought to attention, we'll be brought to remembrance that this we must not do. We must always follow the Lord first and foremost. That's why the Bible is full of examples. Second Samuel. We have now come to the book of Second Samuel. Second Samuel, chapter six. Second Samuel, chapter six. In the first part of the chapter, David he endeavors to bring the Ark of the Covenant from one location to another location. And in so doing, he is celebrating this act. He is celebrating this transfer of the Ark. Everything does not go as he planned, but he had the right attitude in terms of celebrating the thought that he was doing what was good and right for the Ark of the Covenant. He happens to do it the wrong way, but that he wanted to do it, he celebrates. And in his celebration, he does it first the wrong way, and then he does it the right way. When he's doing it the right way and celebrating, there is a conflict that arises between David and his wife, Michal. Who did right to celebrate the correct transference of the ark and who did wrong in observing the correct transference, transportation of the ark of the covenant? Who was in the right, who pleased God, and who was in the wrong? Because there's a conflict that arises between David 
and his wife, Michal. We pick it up in 6, verse 12, 612. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. And David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. Then it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David that Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. So they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offering and the peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Further, he distributed to all the people, to all the multitude of Israel, both to men and women, a cake of bread and one of dates and one of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. But when David returned to bless his household, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel distinguished himself today! He covered himself he uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants' maids as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. And I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. This last comment tells us clearly who was on God's side. Who was on God's side throughout all this in the 12 to 23 section? David was. David was in the right. His wife, Michal, was in the wrong. And it says in verse 16, she despised him in her heart. And in verse 20, she mocks him. The, the very wife of David mocks her husband. How the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants' maids as one of the foolish one shamelessly uncovers himself. She mocks him, her, ridicules her own husband, and God punishes her for her evil, sinful attitude toward her husband. 
verse 23. God punished her in that there was no child born of her until the day of her death. And which woman, thinking straight, does not want to bear a child and hold a baby? And she could not. It was taken away from her. David did right. Michal did wrong. She sinned against the Lord. 2 Samuel 13. 2 Samuel 13. Here, verses 1 to 36. We have an incident in the household of David. One of the sons of David named Amnon, he does wrong. He sins throughout. He is an evildoer and a very uh, assaulting and violent man. Amnon, the son of David. There is a daughter of David named Tamar. She does what's right. Yet David does not intervene and do what is necessary to correct the sin that took place. There is a son of David called Absalom, another son called Absalom. Absalom, he was the brother of Tamar, and because David did not do what was necessary, Absalom took up the responsibility and took care of business against his brother Amnon. Conflict in the very household of King David, the man of God and the prophet of God in his very household. So we have to ask, who's doing the will of God and who's doing the will of the flesh? Who is on God's side and who is on Satan's side? throughout all this. 2 Samuel 13, 1. Now, it was after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so frustrated because of his sister Tamar that he made himself ill, for she was a virgin, and it seemed hard to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very shrewd man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so depressed morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Then Amnon said to him, I am in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. Jonadab then said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat and let her prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent to the house for Tamar, saying, Go now to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. 
So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down, and she took dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and dished them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. So Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the bedroom to her brother Amnon. When she brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. But she said to him, No, my brother, do not violate me. For such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. As for me, where could I get rid of my reproach? And as for you, you will be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not listen to her. Since he was stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred. For the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go away. But she said to him, No, because this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you have done to me. Yet he would not listen to her. Then he called his young man who attended him and said, Now throw this woman out of my presence and lock the door behind her. Now she had a long-sleeved garment, for in this manner the virgin daughters of the king dressed themselves in robes. Then his attendant took her out and locked the door behind her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her long-sleeved garment, which was on her, And she put her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. Then Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now keep silent, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this matter to heart. So Tamar remained and was desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Now, when King David heard of all these matters, he was very angry. But Absalom did not speak to Amnon either good or evil. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Now, it came about after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold now, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, we should not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. Although he urged him, he would not go, but blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon, go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But when Absalom urged him, 
he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. And Absalom commanded his servants, saying, See now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then put him to death. Do not fear. Have not I myself commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. And the servants of Absalom did to Amnon just as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each mounted his mule and fled. Now it was while they were on the way that the report came to David saying, Absalom has struck down all the king's sons and not one of them is left. Then the king arose, tore his clothes and lay on the ground and all his servants were standing by with clothes (coughs) torn. And Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, responded, Do not let my lord suppose that they have put to death all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. Because by the intent of Absalom, this has been determined since the day that he violated his sister Tamar. Now, therefore, do not let my lord the king take the report to heart, namely, all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. Now, Absalom had fled, and the young man who was watching, uh, who, who was the watchman, raised his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come, according to your servant's word. So it happened. And it came about as soon as he had finished speaking that, behold, the king's sons came and lifted their voices and wept, and also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. Who's in the right and who's in the wrong? Well, clearly the only one in the right fully throughout this narrative is Tamar. She's the only one in the right throughout the narrative. Amnon is completely, fully in the wrong throughout the whole narrative. Absalom, he has a right response in that he hated his brother because the brother did something very evil to his own sister. That was right, but he went overboard and excessive by assassinating Amnon. David did not act when he should have acted. He did not mete out a just and sufficient punishment to Amnon. And that gave opportunity for Absalom to act in excessive retaliation. And then we have this very shrewd man, Jonadab. Very shrewd man. He's a relative. He is the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. That means that he is a nephew of David, a relative, a very shrewd man, very cunning man, just like a snake going here and there, secretly, unexpectedly. That's the way Jonadab was. And what about the men of Absalom? What did, they, what did they do? They said, well, Absalom, we're under him, so we just need to do whatever he tells us. We just need to do whatever he tells us. That was the, in their frame of mind. 
There, these are the various actors here. Somebody did right, somebody did wrong. We have to make that kind of distinction, that kind of judgment. Whenever there's any incident that arises, any controversy arises, we have to know who's in the right and who's in the wrong. Who is doing God's will and who is not doing God's will, even if it's our own relatives. 2 Samuel 15. 2 Samuel 15, verses 1 to 6. 2 Samuel 15, verse 1. Remember, who is Absalom? Absalom is one of the sons of David. David the king. And David isn't dead. 2 Samuel 15, 1. Now, it came about after this that Absalom provided for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men as runners before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way to the gate, and it happened that when any man had a suit to come to the king for judgment, Absalom would call call to him and say, From what city are you? And he would say, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but no man listens to you on the part of the king. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that one would appoint me judge in the land. Then every man who has any suit or cause could come to me, and I would give him justice. And it happened that when a man came near to prostrate himself before him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. And in this manner, Absalom dealt with all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. David just had a tragedy that occurred to him with Amnon, correct? And there were other incidents that happened meantime. A tragedy in his own household. David now has another one. His son, another son, Absalom, wants to be the king, and he is persuading the people coming to the king for lawsuits, for judgment, court cases, And ultimately, they go to the lower courts and ultimately they need to go to the highest court, to the king himself. And Absalom is being a very deceitful man by trying to persuade the men of the nation, listen, nobody is listening to you. Nobody cares about justice for you in this whole land. My father, my father is the king, but my father doesn't have any representatives any lower court judges listening to you, giving you justice. But I will give you justice. I will do so. And what does he do? In chapters 15, 16, 17, what does he do? And 18, he seeks to overthrow his own father as king. He amasses a revolt in his own nation against his own father. So that before his own father David dies, Absalom wants to be king and get rid of his father as king. He wants to be the leader, the ruler 
of the country. And this man Absalom revolted in such a way, in such a vile way, in such a gross, grotesque, filthy way that he did this. 2 Samuel 16. He did this against the wives of his own father. He did this, 2 Samuel 16. This is Absalom still. While he's trying to revolt and overthrow his own father. 2 Samuel 16, 20. 16, 20 to 23. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your advice. What shall we do? And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself odious to your father. The hands of all who are with you will also be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. And the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one inquired of the word of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by both David and Absalom. This advisor to the king is now an advisor to Absalom because this Ahithophel has defected. He is a traitor and he used to be on David's side. Now he's on Absalom's side. And this Ahithophel, he was so respected, it was as though the word of God was in him all the time. That's the way They respected him, David and Absalom. And at this point, now that Ahithophel has become a traitor, a defector from David to Absalom, Absalom says, Ahithophel, give me some more advice. What do do I need to do here to make sure that I have the kingdom, my father is deposed, and all the people of the land know that I should be king? And they are persuaded and have strength in their hearts to know that I should be king and not my father. Ahithophel says, go have sexual relations with your father's wives, his concubines, and also do it openly. Do it on the roof of the building. Do it openly so everybody sees that it's happening. Do it openly. And then you will, it says there, The hands of all who are with you will also be strengthened. They'll know, look at this Absalom. He's really determined. He really wants to be king. He's not playing games here. We want to follow a man who's got toughness, who's really strong. That's the way people think. And they did. He did that, and then they were more strengthened. The wicked men who followed Absalom strengthened to follow Absalom. But notice... We have a son who is so evil that he has no qualms, no guilt in fighting against and destroying his own father and the family of his father. That's how devilish Absalom was. He did evil. Now in the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 1. 
1 Kings chapter 1. We are not finished with the miseries of King David. In fact, we have this revolt happening by another son of David. A revolt in order to supplant David and David's plans for succession. Instead of having Solomon become king, as God said, another son called Adonijah. Adonijah, he wanted to become king, another son of David, before David dies. Look at this. David has strife in his own household even right before he dies. He was so sick, so ill, his, his body was always cold. And he was about to die and a revolt is taking place before he breathes his last in King David's own household. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 5. We, we read from verses 5 to 37. Who's in the right? Who's in the wrong? Who's doing God's will? Who is against God's will? Let's see. 1 Kings 1, verse 5. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. So he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run before him. And his father had never crossed him at any time by asking, Why have you done so? And he was also a very handsome man. And he was born after Absalom. And he had conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and following Adonijah, they helped him. But Zadok, the priest, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, Nathan, the prophet, Shimei, Rei, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatlings by the stone of Zoheleth, which is beside Ain Rogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, the mighty men, and Solomon, his brother. Then Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David, our Lord, does not know it? So now come, please, let me give you counsel and save your life and the life of your son Solomon. Go at once to King David and say to him, Have you not, my lord, O king, sworn to your maidservant, saying, Surely Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah, Adonijah become king? Behold, while you are still there speaking with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went in to the king in the bedroom. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was ministering to the king. Then Bathsheba bowed and prostrated herself before the king, and the king said, what do you wish? And she said to him, My Lord, you swore to your maidservant by the Lord your God, saying, 
Surely your son Solomon shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne. And now, behold, Adonijah is king, and now, my lord the king, you do not know it. And he has sacrificed oxen and fatlings and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the kings, uh, all the sons of the king, and Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But he has not invited Solomon your servant. And as for you now, my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will come about as soon as my lord the king sleeps with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be considered offenders. And behold, while she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in and they told the king saying, here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground. Then Nathan said, My lord the king, have you said uh, Adonijah shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen and fatlings and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army, and Abiathar the priest, and behold, they are eating and drinking before him. And they say, Long live, king Adonijah, but me, even me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he has not invited. Has this thing been done by my lord the king? And have you not shown to your servants who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Then King David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. And she came into the king's presence and stood before the king, and the king vowed, And said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all distress, surely as I vowed to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Your son Solomon shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. I will indeed do so this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and prostrated herself before the king and said, May my Lord King David live forever. Then King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. And they came into the king's presence. And the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have my son Solomon ride on my mule, and bring him down to Gihon, and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there as king over Israel, and blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon! Then you shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne and be king in my place, for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen. Thus may the Lord, the God of, the God of my Lord the king, say, As the Lord has been with my Lord the king, so may he be with Solomon, and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. And then in the subsequent narrative, Solomon is anointed king. Adonijah, the son of David, Joab, the commander of the army, a relative of David, who's also a nephew, so the son of Zeruiah. Zeruiah was the sister of David. And then the priest, Abiathar the priest, 
a son of Aaron the priest, a descendant of Aaron the priest, they all joined Adonijah in this revolt, in this rebellion. They all knew what David had promised, what he had vowed with an oath before the Lord, and what the Lord actually did. The Lord told David, and then David made this vow before the people that Solomon would be king. They all knew this. Everybody knew this. Even David, he knew it, but he did not act on it. He did not act on it. David is doing wrong here. These other men are clearly doing wrong, but David and the people following them are doing wrong, but David is doing wrong by being wayward and hesitant because it says in verse 5, no, verse 6, verse 6, and his father had never crossed him at any time by asking, why have you done so? He never crossed him. He never said, stop it, Adonijah. I'm going to anoint Solomon. I already vowed to God and to the people, I will do the word of God and anoint Solomon as king. I haven't done it yet, but now I will do it. He never stopped Adonijah. He didn't stop Adonijah until Bathsheba, who wanted to do the righteous will of God, and Nathan the prophet, who wanted to do the righteous will of God, not until they intervened and convinced David, reminded David, persuaded David to do the right thing. David needed some help to do the right thing. And Nathan, Bathsheba, and David, then Zadok, Benaiah, Nathan the prophet, Solomon, and those who followed Solomon, and these, they did the right thing. A conflict, a rebellion was taking place. Somebody was in the right, somebody was in the wrong. Adonijah, Adonijah, this man had an insatiable appetite for the throne. He could not and would not cease until he was put to death. Just as Absalom had it, Adonijah had it. We find this to be the case in 1 Kings chapter 2. Though the revolt was put down, and though Adonijah's life was spared, Adonijah, he was given some peace or clemency with the situation. He was left to be alone, and Solomon told him, listen, I'll leave you alone if you leave me alone. If you don't cause any trouble, then everything will be fine, and I will never put you to death. I won't do anything to you. But if you break, if you do anything wrong, you better watch out. It's going to cost you. Okay? That was the kind of scenario set up. So then we come to 2 Samuel chapter 2. I'm sorry, not 2 Samuel. 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. We pick it up at verse 13. 213. 213 to 25. Another occasion for conflict in the family. 
2.13 of 1 Kings. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and she said, Do you come peacefully? And he said, Peacefully. Then he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, Speak. So he said, You know that the kingdom was mine and that all Israel expected me to be king. However, the kingdom has turned about and become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. Look at that. He recognizes it was his from the Lord, but he doesn't believe in the Lord, in the words Lord, uh, the, the word of the Lord, as though he is the true and living and only God, and we must do his will. He wanted to do whatever he wanted, and it was supposed to be his, he says, but it turned out not to be his. 16. And now, I am making one request of you. Do not refuse me. And she said to him, speak. Then he said, please speak to Solomon the king, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag the Shunammitess as a wife. And Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak to the king for you. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah, and the king arose to meet her, bowed before her, and sat on his throne. Then he had a throne set for the king's mother, and she sat on his right. Then she said, I am making one small request of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, Ask my mother, for I will not refuse you. So she said, Let Abishag the Shunammitess be given to Adonijah, your brother, as a wife. And King Solomon answered and said to his mother, And why are you asking Abishag the Shunammitess for Adonijah? Ask for him also the kingdom, for he is my older brother, even for him, for Abiathar the priest and for Joab the son of Zeruiah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who has made me a house as he promised, surely Adonijah will be put to death today. So King Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he fell upon him so that he died. Adonijah wants to be king. And when he wants to marry Abishag, this is similar to what Absalom did with the ten concubines. He's making a, a move asserting that he wants the throne by taking one of the women of the king. That's what he's implying by this. Solomon knows it. Solomon knows that. And that's why it required the death penalty. Because that would be the action of a traitor. The death penalty. And so Solomon orders for the execution of his own brother, Adonijah, because Adonijah is sinfully rejecting the word of the Lord revolting against the dynasty of David, and therefore he must be put to death. Who did right here? Solomon 
did right, Adonijah did wrong. Solomon did the will of God, Adonijah did the will of the devil and lost his life in this way. Chapter 11, 1 Kings chapter 11. We'll make our way through the book of Kings for the remainder of our time. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4. In the early part of 1 Kings, chapters 1 to 10, the righteousness of Solomon is explained. However, in chapter 11, before the death of Solomon, in chapter, at the end of chapter 11, Solomon's sins are explained. And this was one of his sins. 1 Kings 11, verse 4. For it came about when Solomon was old, his wives... <laughs> turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. What happened to Solomon when he was old? His foreign wives, as explained in the first few verses, one to three, he married foreign idolatrous women, foreign pagan women who worshiped other gods, who bowed down to idols. He married them, and when he was old, and being old, sometimes old men, old people, lose their resolve. Their will becomes pliable, movable, shakable. And that's what happened to Solomon. When he became old, he did not persevere as strongly as he should have, and he was persuaded by his wicked wives. Persuaded by his idolatrous and wicked wives. He should have been building up his resolve, knowing that this is the case until the day of his death. We notice that also with David. David should have crossed Adonijah, but he didn't. Being close to death, he should have had that resolve himself. David did not, and Solomon did not, not to the point that they showed themselves to be unbelievers, but they did sin temporarily. We come also now to 1 Kings chapter 15. We have another case with another king. One of the descendants of David and Solomon is Asa, Asa king. 1 Kings 15, 9. 15, 9 to 15. 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 9. So in the 20th year of Jeroboam, the king of Israel, Asa began to reign as king of Judah. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. And Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. He also put away the male cult prostitutes from the land and removed all the idols which his fathers had made. And he also removed Maacah, his mother, from being queen mother, because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah, and Asa cut down her horrid image and burned it at the brook Kidron. 
but the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly devoted to the Lord all his days. And he brought into the house of the Lord the dedicated things of his father and his own dedicated things, silver and gold and utensils. We find here Asa is commended as doing right as David did, verse 11. He got rid of idolatry throughout the land, even the idolatry that was in his own mother. The idolatry of his own mother, it says in 13. And he also removed Maaka, his mother, from being queen mother. He removed her position of queen mother. He got rid of that because he did not want her to be prominent so that the rest of the people of the land, especially the women of the land, say, well, the queen mother's doing it, so we can do it. You know, that's what happens. The common people will see a prominent leader of the nation commit some sin and repeat that sin. They'll say, well, he committed adultery, so I can commit adultery. He stole money, I can steal money. He's a drug addict, so I can be a drug addict. So on. That's the way people think. So he didn't want that in the rest of his nation, so he got rid of his own mother as queen mother. Furthermore, her horrid image, this is the way it is, a horrid image, a horrifying image. The image that is grotesque and vile and scary. She made some idol like that of Asherah, a horrid image of Asherah, a a goddess, a female deity. He made a grotesque-looking object of worship, or she made that, and he got rid of it. He destroyed it, not worried that it was his own mother. He did what was right before the Lord his God. First Samuel, first Samuel, I'm sorry, first Kings. First Kings chapter 16. First Kings 16, 29. First Kings 16, 29 to 34. Ahab is another example. Ahab, the king of Israel, he marries the wrong wife. 1 Kings 16, 29. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab also made the Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel with all the kings, more than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Heel, the Bethelite, built Jericho. He laid its foundations with the loss of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates with the loss of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, 
the son of Nun. We have two examples here. The main one is Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab married Jezebel, the daughter of a foreign pagan king, the daughter of Ethbaal, and she introduced the worship of Baal in the land. Baal and Asherah in the land. It was bad enough to worship the gods of Jeroboam, the golden calves of Jeroboam. He did that before, and then he worsened it by worshiping the gods and the goddesses of Jezebel. The other man who's sinning here, contrary to true knowledge and contrary to his own interests, who wants to lose firstborn son and youngest son in premature death? Nobody, if they're thinking rightly, correct? But this man, Heel, he built Jericho. You see, what happened in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 6, after the defeat and destruction of Jericho by Joshua, Joshua pronounced a curse on any man who would dare to rebuild Jericho. This is in the book of Joshua 6.26. Joshua pronounced that curse on any man who would dare to rebuild the city of Jericho. Joshua 6.26. Do you think that people were unaware of that? No. They knew about it. But this heel, he wanted to rebuild Jericho more than he loved his firstborn and youngest sons. He didn't care because Joshua said, whoever rebuilds Jericho, he's going to lose his oldest son and his youngest son. They will die prematurely. And they did. He didn't care. Heel didn't care to do the will of God. He didn't care to do the will of God to such an extent that he lost two of his sons. <coughs> First Kings 21. First Kings 21. This wicked Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab, in First Kings 21, verses 5 to 10, he wanted a certain plot of land. He wanted a vineyard next to his palace. He longed for it. He coveted it. And the owner said, I can't do that. The owner, Naboth, because it is the inheritance of his fathers, he said. It's the inheritance of my fathers. And according to the law of Moses, it was not to be sold. It was supposed to be kept in the family. Naboth is right. And he told the king, I can't do this. I shouldn't do this. Uh, Ahab, he goes home, it says, and he's whining about it. The king, he was whining about it. He was whimpering about it. And then his Weasley wife enters the picture. He's a whiner and a whimper. And then the wife, she's a weasel. She's a weasel. Look, 21.5. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, How is it that your spirit is so sullen that you are not eating food? So he said to her, 
because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel his wife said to him, Do you not, do you now reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with Naboth in his city. Now she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people and seat two worthless men before him and let them testify against him saying, You curse God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. Jezebel takes action for the inactive Ahab. Ahab is moping around, wiping tears away from his face, a crybaby. But Jezebel, who's got more audacity than Ahab, she says, listen, be joyful. You're the king. I'll take care of your business for you. She wrote letters, deceitful letters, malicious letters, murderous letters to the elders of the city to get two thugs, two crooks, to lie about what Naboth said. And then, in their court session, order him to be put to death. So they do so, and they get him put to death. Two worthless men, sons of the devil. They were happy to follow the king and the queen. He is put to death unjustly. What should Ahab have done? He should have said, no. I'm not as brazen and bold as you are, my wife, Jezebel, but this is too far. I'm not going to put an innocent man to death just because I want his vineyard. He didn't do that. He murdered, he and his wife murdered Naboth. 1 Kings 21, 25. Toward the end of the chapter, after Elijah the prophet rebukes him and tells him and Jezebel what they will experience, how they will die miserable, premature deaths. Then the prophet says this, 1 Kings 21, 25. Surely there was no one like Ahab, who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. And he acted very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel. Ahab did more evil than all of his predecessors, And why did this happen? Because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. She provoked him. She persuaded him. She nagged him. She advised him. She spoke sweet words to him. You're the king. And, you know, these days, well, darling, well, honey, you deserve it. We should do it this way. Just listen to me. Don't you love me? This is how it happens. How wives 
Wicked wives persuade their husbands. This is an evil man who may not have been so evil if he would have just resisted Jezebel. But he didn't. He let her persuade him. Whether a righteous husband or a wicked husband, whenever there's a wicked wife, the husband should say no and keep saying no and call the wife, wicked wife, to repent. It doesn't matter who the, the re- relation is. Whatever our relative says, our family member says, in our own household, whether it's right or wrong, should be our judgment. And then if it's right in the sight of the Lord, we follow the right. If it's wrong in the sight of the Lord, then we reject the wrong, live a holy life ourselves, and call on the one who's giving the wrong advice to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what Jesus meant about loving him, loving his name, loving his word, his will, more than father, mother, son, or daughter. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.